a listener production. Before we get started, just a quick warning that this episode contains references to sexual assault and mental health issues. Hi, I'm Helen McCabe, founder of Future Women, a club helping women to connect, learn and lead. One of the ways we do this is through live events, like the Leadership Summit we held in March 2021. There is an incredible atmosphere when you're in a room of inspiring women, especially when they're there sharing their stories and leadership experience. However, the event coincided with rolling coverage of deeply disturbing allegations of rape, sexual assault and systemic injustice in Parliament House in Canberra. As the summit kicked off, emotions were running high. Inevitably, discussions repeatedly returned to these issues. So, you might hear our speakers reference these incidences as the events of the past few weeks. It was wonderful to host a live event after a year of social distancing and lockdowns. The pandemic had a profound impact on all of our lives. But what had it meant for gender inequality? Were more men cleaning the house? Could working from home make life less stressful for mothers? In this episode, we ask a diverse panel of women, how has COVID-19 impacted gender equality? The panellists are Fabian Datner, CEO of the Datner Group, Priscilla Brown, former Group Executive of Marketing and Corporate Affairs at the Commonwealth Bank, and Natasha stott Despoja, former Senator and Founding Chair of Our Watch. The panel is moderated by Future Women's Jamila Rizvi and was recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, we pay our respects to elders, past, present, and emerging. Here's Jamila. So we've got a really small topic, uh, friends, uh, which is about inequality and COVID. So we should absolutely be able to cover that off well within the time. Natasha, I'd like to start with you. And I wanted to ask you what inequalities in the gender space that you have so far seen COVID-19 exacerbate? I think it's fair to say that women in Australia already deal with existing inequalities and the impact of the pandemic here, the region and across the globe, has been to exacerbate some of those existing inequalities. So whether that's uh, the issue of unpaid work, caring roles and responsibilities for women, whether it's paid work, obviously women uh, tended to feel the brunt of the pandemic in terms of employment or specifically unemployment, almost up to twice the rate uh, of men. And then we saw a highlighting or exacerbating of gender norms and stereotypes. So, you know, we went back in many cases to being caregivers and an extra hour at least of unpaid work uh, a day for women. Plus women were on the front line. Healthcare workers, informal workers, childcare, aged care providers, uh, etc., teachers, etc. So there was that economic as well as social dimension. And finally, because this is a very, you know, I'm happy to elucidate on any of these points, the area in which uh, I'm involved, the issue of preventing violence against women and children. We know that the shadow pandemic of COVID and the pandemic has been the issue of women's experience of violence and that violence across the world affecting women and children has increased. And specifically in Australia, the rate of violence increased, the severity of that violence increased, and even COVID itself was being weaponised. So I think there are many dimensions, but the take-home message is women were disproportionately affected socially, economically, and that is something with which governments have yet to grapple, and certainly in Australia, we haven't. 
tackled that from a policy perspective. I must say in those weeks and months of lockdown in Melbourne, we kept getting that message again and again of you are being kept at home to keep you safe. And uh, there were so many messages going around with groups of my friends saying, what about the women who aren't safe at home, for whom home is not a safe place? Fabian, what have been your observations during the pandemic of gender inequalities? And have there been any spaces where there's been improvement or am I just looking for a silver lining that doesn't exist? I think there's definitely a silver lining and I feel like I've been in your homes in one way or another for the past year, frankly. I've been talking to and been online with women from all over the world, nonstop, for the last 15 months. I've been in their kitchens, in their living rooms, sometimes when the only room available, the laundry, the toilet and their bedrooms, as only women will do. And my experience is twofold, frankly. I go ditto to the data that Natasha's uh, so fluently and seamlessly shared. But I also think it's worth knowing that we're in the room, that we can talk about the big context in which this data uh, is uh, built, but it's in the room, it's here, it's now on stage. So here's what I observed, and we worked in some 56 countries and in the Homeward Bound Project with over 46 different sciences, so from award-winning gravitational wave theorists to ecologists, from biologists to medical doctors, and ditto with our national work here. Uh, And that is that women are a tale in two halves. One half is the data that talks to the inequality and talks to the continued and significant cost of systemic bias, of a bias that we ourselves carry how much we don't realise we are affected by a system that is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. But the other side is, if you ask women, do you know what we are capable of? The answer is, no, we don't. Because what emerged for me during the pandemic was a capacity to work, a capacity to be generous, selfless, loving, to overcome typical hierarchical boundaries, to hold teams and families together in actually the most adverse conditions. Unquestionably, there were women who were told to stay safe at home who absolutely weren't safe at home. But the greater majority were at home and also not safe because they might have had a partner in another room, male or female, who thought that they had a more important job. Or they could have been that wonderful moment at home when you're in the midst of a deep conversation and the kids and the cats walk across screen. Or somebody screams from the kitchen, Mom, Harry took my toy! And you're negotiating a complex thing for an international agreement. So I notice grace and compassion and incredible capacity. So one side is the continued, let's face it, there is nothing new about the stats except they got worse last year. Uh, But the other side I saw was the emergence of women leading at every level, everywhere, and it was magic. Thank you so much, Fabian, for helping us see a little bit of the light. And I would echo that, absolutely, because as much as it has been a deeply distressing year and I feel like I can't turn on the television at the moment without getting a bit teary because of news out of Canberra and beyond, there were moments in the pandemic that felt very human 
And I think uh, for too long it has been women who have done the balancing work and family and men have just done a bit of work and a bit of family but never had to do the balance bit. And one of the lovely things about the pandemic was we were forced to stop hiding our families, to stop hiding the different responsibilities we had because there wasn't another option. And I, for one, loved seeing babies on hips and, you know, children working in and pets walking in and whatever it might be. It humanised colleagues who I didn't know as well and I think it created connection. But again, I do think that juggle still remained on women even within the home as someone who worked from the dining table while my husband worked in the study the whole year. Anyway, I'll get over it one day. Can I come to you, Priscilla? I want to ask uh, a twofold question about women's economic security. So firstly, you work in the financial industry. Could you reflect for us what the situation is like when it comes to income inequality for women and how that might have been affected by the pandemic here in Australia? But I know you're also the director of Project Mercy, working in development efforts in Ethiopia. Could you also perhaps extend your comments to what might be happening elsewhere in the world? So we're certainly other countries weren't spared the enormous impacts of COVID the way we have been? Look, I mean, first of all, we are seeing all of the problems exacerbated, not only here, but around the world that we know are true for women. We're also seeing women lean in, exercise their power, and in some cases, gain recognition for doing so. And that's not just true in developed countries, it's also true in developing countries. So in a village where you have one man, three wives and eight children who cannot go off to either the field or the school, the woman's role is incredibly powerful and, and understood in ways that maybe they weren't when that man could ignore and walk away from what's happening. That's happening in a little village in Yetaban, Ethiopia, but it's also happening as you just described in homes here where women are professionals in, in one of the most developed countries in the world we sit in. So I feel that we're all at an incredible tipping point. It's very interesting to me to see the Me Too movement starting here in Australia so strongly because I was in the US when it happened overnight where things we could say last week, we couldn't say next week, men and women, where awareness was elevated everywhere. I work in a financial institution. I've worked in financial institutions most of my career in the US, in New Delhi, in Paris, in Toronto, now here. I grew up in Germany. I'm Ethiopian by descent. I've seen a lot of people in a lot of places. I've seen wealth and I've seen poverty. And I think there are some common themes among women. And I'm gonna make some generalizations someone in the audience won't like but I just, this is my experience. I've seen women act as the repairers, exercise maternal instincts to make it okay. Whatever the situation is, wherever they are, women do that, which means that we are well represented on the front lines of every disaster. It was true in SARS. It was true when AIDS epidemic happened across Africa. It's been true in every struggle I've ever known. I've also seen women uh, recognize not only the plight of women, but the plight of others. The famous speech that comes to mind is Harriet Tubman, who some of you may know, ran the Underground Railroad back in the 1800s in, in the US um, during slavery, taking people to freedom. She gave a famous speech to the women's suffragettes 
and the speech was entitled, Ain't I a Woman? And that was a very key moment, and it's a moment that I think is relevant even today, which is to say, the struggle of indigenous people in this country, the struggle of black people in America, and the struggle of women all across the world is the same struggle. And that when we recognize bringing all of that together and recognize the civil rights of everyone, there's immense power for all of us. So now I should talk about financial services, sorry. Please don't um, be sorry. <laughs> in financial services, what do we see? Uh, well, the Commonwealth Bank of Australia has had a long commitment well before I ever arrived two years ago to recognize and support vulnerable people, and in particular women, suffering from financial abuse of all kinds. It's not just the Commonwealth Bank. This is not a competitive issue for us. We're banding through the ABA with all banks and financial institutions because this is a problem that everyone has to address. We've seen it in a number of ways and we have a number of activities going on right now to address it. And we've seen it exacerbated during COVID. Things like abusive transactions. Maybe some of you've heard about this. This is where the estranged partner, more often than not a man, and the woman are separated. And the only connection they have, because there's a restraining order, is that payment that's going from one to the other, which gives them the opportunity in making those payments to send a message, a very short message. So let's say the guy has to send $100. Instead of sending $100 once, he may send $1 100 times to give him the opportunity to send those messages. The messages may start with, I miss you and the kids. And somewhere along the way, the message changes to, I hate you. And then further along the way, the message changes to, I'll kill you. We've noticed that happening thousands of times. And we put processes in place to address that. So all of the problems that we know of that exist in our society, and they're really amplified here in, in terms of financial abuse, all of those can be exacerbated in periods where people are forced to be contained in one spot. The woman has fewer options for making a phone call or getting help because she's limited. And that's a real, real serious issue. You're right, the problems are exacerbated. You're right, there's power in women. We're also right that this problem is not just an Australian problem, it's all over the world. And we're also right that if you identify with the struggles of others who are also being oppressed, there's more power. You can be stronger together. Thank you so much for that. Natasha, I want to turn to you because I feel like we have just had a discussion with Priscilla about violence and she makes the point that this is not an Australian problem, this is a global problem and exacerbated globally by COVID-19. You touched on a few different issues in your introductory comments. Do you think you could take us a little deeper on this and what we're seeing when it comes to the COVID-related impacts on gender-based violence? Uh, well, of course, uh, the issue of gendered violence or violence against women and children in particular, noting that um, obviously women and children are not the only victims, but primarily when we're talking about this power imbalance, this affects women and children. It's an epidemic, according to the World Health Organization. In Australia, I describe it as a national emergency. It was a national emergency before COVID. Before COVID, 
Police attended a domestic violent incident every two minutes on average, so that's 657 times a day. Every week in our country, a woman dies violently, usually at the hand of someone she knows. And I do acknowledge that women are not the only victims, that this violence is perpetrated against men and women, but in the majority of cases, the perpetrator is male, 95%. And also, I know that the issue of this inequality is not the same for all women. Gender equality is not the same for all of us. Obviously, other forms of disadvantage and discrimination intersect. So violence is affected by ableism and racism and transphobia and homophobia and many other issues. So we had a problem already. And then yes, COVID has exacerbated this partly as you describe because of some of the methods, the techniques that we've used to try and address or curb the virus. So people being in lockdown, for example. But what worries me is that when we talk about the link between gender inequality and violence, and the research tells us that is a strong link. So we know the underlying causes or drivers of violence against women include disrespect for women, limits to women's financial and other independence, adherence to rigid gender stereotypes and, you know, male peer relationships that emphasise aggression and disrespect. So all of these things are linked with gender inequality. So what does that mean in a COVID or post-COVID environment? Well, if we have these dramatic social and political and economic effects, we know that the issue of women's leadership is affected and thus our ability to address and build back better, as they say, but the ability to address issues such as violence are impacted in a way that does set us back. And we have seen, you know, Fabian, you're so right, we've seen wonderful examples of leadership. And I guess at the moment, not just around, yeah, around the world, but in Australia, especially after the last few weeks, I'm just desperate for that leadership to be acknowledged and supported and promoted. And I mean leadership from women everywhere, you know, our diversity and our difference being reflected and represented, but especially in our corridors of power. Not just because it's right and it's the fair thing to do, but because there's a direct link between women in positions of power and leadership and better policies and practices to address violence against women. So yes, COVID's made it worse. Yes, we've seen wonderful examples of how we can begin to address that through leadership generally, but women's leadership and agency specifically but it's not enough. And all of those areas that we need to see invested in or the gender lens on policy, whether it's childcare or support for work and family balance, or whether it's a whole range of rewards and recompense for those industries that have been hardest hit, particularly for women who are casual, casualized workforce, part-time workers, many of whom didn't get JobKeeper, didn't get any financial supports in a real meaningful way. So we've got to start addressing those things, but that all is interlinked with more women in positions of power. And I've never felt it more so. I feel we're right in this watershed moment and a crisis can bring about change, but I'm desperately hoping that this one will. Natasha, I want to stay with you for a moment before going to Fabian on women's leadership. You talked about the corridors of power. Um, On Australia Day, we saw four women named in the positions of Australian of the Year and the Associated roles, including Grace Tane, who was named Australian of the Year, who is a sexual assault and rape survivor. And yet in the weeks that have followed, we've seen some fairly extraordinary allegations and events unfold in the nation's capital. 
how optimistic do you feel about women wanting those positions of power when this is what they see of Parliament House in their news? Well, I can understand why women and, and men, I think everyone would run for the hills rather than run for Parliament right now, but we need diversity more than ever in our institutions. And we're just not reflected and represented in any of our powerful institutions, whether it's the ASX top listed companies, whether it's defence force personnel, or particularly in parliaments. And I understand, and my message to young women in particular, women generally, women, you know, uh, gender diverse, non-binary people of Australia, is don't give up on parliament just because you think parliament's given up on us. I think that surveys that show 0%, literally 0% of, what is it, 15 to 25-year-old young women want to go into politics, 0%, it breaks my heart, breaks my heart. And I, I suspect some of you saw Grace Tame oh, at the press club, and when she was asked, would you consider going into politics? And I think I'm quoting her correctly, no, um, I think it went something like that. And my heart broke a little not because I don't understand that change can come through a variety of formats, obviously business industry, social movements, NGOs, unions, you name it, but I don't want to lose the best and brightest, the most passionate and principled. I don't want women to give up on that as a career and I think it's got to change. I, I, look, I know it's going to change, but I would bring in quotas tomorrow. I'm, I'm sick of it. Seriously, 25 years ago I got into Parliament and I thought by now I'd be sitting on a stage celebrating gender parity in the halls of power. I still can't believe that we're at a point where women are not equally represented. And I don't just mean women of privilege, I mean all our diversity and difference, wonderfully reflected and represented. And we can change that overnight, people. Change that overnight with quotas. Next election, bring it on. Otherwise, just could you all consider running for parliament that might just change the landscape or at least change politicians' response to some of the dramatic and traumatic and triggering issues that we've all witnessed in the last few weeks. Hi, Helen here. Just jumping in to highlight, as the panel mentioned, progress can be hard to achieve. No matter how hard we push, there are often factors beyond our control conspiring to slow things down. Now that we've heard the way in which gender inequality has been exacerbated by COVID, let's hear from Fabian, Priscilla and Natasha on what the future might hold. Here's Jamila again. Fabian, how do we get more women into positions of power as we build back better, as Natasha says? Well, first of all, you know, it's a great privilege to share the stage with the three of you. But I want to give, if I may, a little bit of a moment of truth about women. First of all, I don't think we respond well to being invited into the corridors of power. Women have got a thing about power, and I'm not sure if it's a blessing or it's a curse. We want to do something together. We really do. And even sitting on a stage here, none of us really want to be isolated. None of us want to be sitting this far above you or separated from our online audience. We're too vulnerable. We will never be the biggest, the strongest. We will never have the sharpest teeth or the longest claws. We can't run faster. We will never be bigger. So at some unconscious, deeply primitive level, we don't feel safe, even when we are. So I'm now not going on the bell curve. I'm not going to talk to the percentage which we are all aware are severely disadvantaged, abused, underprivileged, don't have access to education, are beaten, are the end of the bell curve. Then there's everybody else. 
So I rather ask why isn't everybody else rising up? And I think because as women, we genuinely don't know what we're capable of. And all the work I do in Australia and overseas tells me this, exactly the same pattern is at play. And I know it's at play on stage. I know each of the women who sits up here in one way or another are carrying some bogeys about themselves. Let me give some of mine when I actually sat down. First of all, I, I looked at my feet and went, why didn't I get the instruction not to wear the shoes I've been wearing all the way through COVID on stage? <laughs> then I got a thigh moment. Has anyone had a thigh moment? Does everyone know what a thigh moment is? It's when you compare your thighs to somebody else's. <laughs> and look at this, I'm sitting next to the most gorgeous and then I'm, I'm feeling like I just need to move a bit nearer to these two. Now, this sounds silly, doesn't it? We're paranoid about our makeup. I haven't worn high heels for 18 months. I'm not sure I ever will again. I'm paranoid about falling over now. I'm paranoid about not being graceful, being too old, too young, too fat, too slim. I'm a little bit paranoid about getting things done to a really high standard. Uh, in fact, I'm a bit paranoid about losing because I fight to win because I want you to love me because I'm winning. So I'm a little bit paranoid about control and you'll all know who you are. You're a bit paranoid about control because you're either in control or out of control. Maybe you're a little bit argumentative, got to push the barrel, push the zone, keep fighting for something because if you don't push it, someone will push you. And then there's a lot of us who just put our heads under the cover. If I say nothing, I'm okay. If I just don't put my head up, I'm okay. And then there's this big bag of women who work to be generous to a fault, to worry about what other people think of them, to worry about fitting in wherever we are in the world. And that is our challenge. I think that whilst, and I, you know, my heart goes out to, and I'm also active at the fringes of the bell curve, it's the 60% in the middle that concern me. And I think there are some propositions we must challenge. I'm not sure about leaning in. You know, I say that with love and respect. I don't want to lean in on my own. If I was sitting at that table and we all went, let's lean in, and everyone, yeah, it's a good idea, I would do it. But I don't really want to do it on my own. And there's our problem with the corridors of power. It's an archaic, male-dominated structure that belongs to another era. Now, question, how do we change it? by being in there. How do we get in there? It's a hard gig on your own. It's a hard gig on your own. So I think women as collectives have to start talking about what do we want? The crossroads, we really are at a crossroads and to the left is the old way of leading and it's ancient. Universities, for instance, the structure of their leadership is over a thousand years old. But the world we've created is so different. Decisions are being made under our feet at a terrifying speed, not by the people in the corridors of power, but by organisations surveilling our information online. It's changed under our feet. And I think women need to come together and ask, what sort of world do we want? And therefore, what sort of leadership will help us get that world? So I describe myself as a leadership activist for those reasons. The leadership paradigm we've got is sick. It's moribund. It's not functioning effectively. And it has taken us to the point where at the brink on every single primary indicator of the eight big systems in which human beings must survive. 
only one of those, ozone layer, because we acted a long time ago, is within boundaries that human beings will survive. So it's a 60%, it's you and me, it's the ordinary women online, yes, at the fringes. But my God, we need to mobilise us. And we need to say, what's the future we want? What is the leadership that will get us to that future? Collaborative, inclusive, legacy-minded, trusted with assets. What can we do in small groups and large to move us towards that? Thank you, Fabian. Here, here. Priscilla, Fabian just spoke about occasions where it feels like the rest of us are moving ahead of governments. Do you have that sense that it might well be corporate Australia that is key to leading a COVID recovery that perhaps the government won't be willing to? Can I just address something that she just said first? Please. Because that was incredibly profound. I want to challenge one tiny piece of it. There are women who like Harriet, are on the fringes of a different sort of bell curve. They're very different. They never fit in from birth. These are women who could be suffering from disabilities. These could be women who look different than most people in this room. These are women who have succeeded in spite of and buoyed by that difference. There's something beautiful about knowing that you're not a part of the club. You never will be a part of the club that does give you confidence. So if you don't know women like that, get to know them. It's important, reach out to someone who is very, very different. And you may actually find that rather than doing them a favor by doing so, they'll actually do you a favor by teaching you that different is okay. Striking out as an individual is all right. If acceptance was never available to you, you sort of lose the burden of trying to be that. I know you weren't. No, I, I definitely, I, I 100% you, agree with you. Yes. And more importantly, I work with women from all over the world, from Kenya, Uganda, yes. in all geographies. And I find once you get past the codes, the ethics, the values, the clothing, we're all the same actually. We're identical, but in which way are women identical? They're collaborative, inclusive, legacy-minded, and they're trusted with assets. And our world now has a leadership that isn't. That's exactly true. But there are also women, and you mentioned Kenya, and actually it's interesting you mentioned Kenya because I was thinking of Kenya. There are women who, for example, have been outcast in Kenya because they've been raped by men. They are considered indecent and are not accepted in any of the institutions. Who've banded together, this also has happened in Ethiopia, and created a bank. In Ethiopia, it's called Mother Bank. Look it up, it's really interesting. Oh, your own Catherine uh, Hamlin from Australia recognized this. Women who were suffering from, from uh, if I talk about it, I cry, but women who have been uh, disfigured, who as a result have to live on the streets because they're, they're considered dirty and unworthy. A group of women like this came together in Ethiopia and created Mother Bank. Mother Bank is in Ethiopia 
providing more microfinancing to women business owners than any other institution. It's a small community bank. So I only say that to say, you know, my kids went to a school, my son wrote a book about being the only black kid in a white environment. I used to say to those headmistresses and headmasters of their schools, you think that you're doing my kid a favor. Actually, my kid's doing this school a favor. Having them there means that you're learning something about the world you wouldn't otherwise learn. And guess what? It's a bigger world than this little one you see. I know I've digressed a bit, but my point is, I just really believe, I'm looking around the room and I'd love to see more black women this time next year. And I challenge you all to bring one to this event, find one. Bring a woman who's disabled. Bring a woman who's never ever been a part of the mainstream and has not set her sights on being one, but who has strength. It will make a difference. And that's what that speech, uh, that Harriet speech was about. Anyway, I should go back to your question. I just had to get that. Just before, Jen, before you do, yeah. just to say in response to that, because I think this is important for everyone, if we make the effort, in an incredibly short amount of time, we can make a profound difference. Absolutely. And that was certainly our homeward bound journey. We went from eight nationalities to 56 in four years, simply because it's what we actually wanted. And you're right, the experience of being the minority is crucially important. Absolutely. I'm going to pivot my question because we've okay. gone off on an excellent tangent. Okay. Priscilla, can I ask you, there will be a whole bunch of priorities coming out of the pandemic globally and here in Australia. A lot of them will be economic priorities. How do we keep women's equality on the agenda for government, for business, for community organizations? Right underneath the surface, many women in this country have personally felt uh, some of the issues that we're reading about and seeing today. Right underneath the surface, there are people in this room, I won't ask you to raise your hand, but you know at your table that 40% of you have experienced some of what's being talked about in the news today. That's only a small part of it. There's also a good number of you sitting at this table who've lost out on opportunities that you should have won simply because you look the way you do. Because it could be your gender, it could be any number of things. You all know that, we all know that. So that's sitting right underneath the surface. As these issues have been talked about in the news, that's coming out. It's, it's an uncontrollable force. We've hit a tipping point. Now it's up to us to determine whether this is a moment in time or a true turning point. That's a decision we can make. And I love the points you both made. It takes a village, right? So it is a public private partnership and leadership has to do it, but it's also in every single thing that we all do as individuals. And it could be at your child's school, it could be at your church, it could be at your workplace, it could be your small team. It doesn't matter. I had a meeting yesterday of a leadership team and a woman spoke up and talked about how she feels having to elbow in a world of men in a way that she never would have talked about a month ago. These are all signs and symbols of incredible change. I'm very optimistic about where Australia stands in this pandemic. We certainly have gone into this pandemic in better shape as a country. We're coming out of it in better shape. If we choose to, as women, we can seize this moment. There are enormous tools available to both women and men 
that we can over-index on. There are opportunities for us to do what you've described, band together, decide together that there are issues we want to manage, and we'd have the opportunity to do so. As a financial institution, we've leaned in in lots of ways, mostly for the vulnerable. We think a lot about the vulnerable, so we're doing a lot more for those who will be most impacted by this. Uh, because we know that that weak businesses going into this will be weaker coming out, and we're focused a lot on small businesses because small businesses employ women and men in this country at a better rate, at a higher rate, and so it's really important to support those businesses that may not have the capital. But we also are doing quite a lot for individuals, and make yourself aware of those things, and not just with us, with with every institution. This is not just about a bank or a financial institution. As a matter of fact, the government has tools available as well. And I think it's really an optimistic time. I think when you see what's happening in the news, you can choose to be saddened and disappointed by it. And you can choose to talk about what this means and how it holds us back. Or you can choose to say, you know what? Our time has come. We can move forward. I've seen it happen incredibly fast. Black Lives Matter became so big, so fast. You know, black people weren't in vogue last year in the US. <laughs> it wasn't cool to be black. This year, it's incredibly cool to be black. Women weren't cool before the Me Too matter occurred in the US. It happened overnight. And it happened because just like here, there are women who right below the surface see a truth and what's happening on the stage, and they decided to jump into it. Here, here. <laughs> Natasha, you've worked in the parliament. You've worked alongside and adjacent to government. How do we keep this at the top of the government's agenda? How do we keep gender equality at the top of the COVID recovery agenda? Well, a lot of what Priscilla just said, use this as a watershed moment. Um, the reality is women's voices have to be heard. We have to be at the table making the decisions if these issues are going to have political currency and credibility. You have to apply a gender lens. You, we cannot underestimate this impact on women in particular. And I know while women are considered, you know, quote, the shock absorbers of the pandemic, and our situation in Australia is that women have been affected more so than men, but this issue is compounded, obviously, for women across the world and is worse in some places in our region and beyond. So women's leadership's important. I love the statistics and the data that's come out now that said women who run countries or, you know, countries that have women-led um, governments have handled COVID better. The data is clear, the research. Leadership was the single biggest factor in how countries addressed the COVID pandemic. And women-led countries were more likely to go into an initial lockdown earlier and have fewer fatalities. Now, I know I'm always saying don't judge people based on their gender, but hey, those women, pretty impressive. So women's leadership does matter. We know it makes a difference. So we need to ensure that women are not only at the table or having the discussions in corporate life, more broadly in NGOs, they do have to be in parliament. There's no question. And I think that we can Fabian, we can take up all those things, all those qualities and values to which you referred. Yes, we're collegiate. Yes, we like to collaborate. Yes, we have integrity. But we're also really different too. I don't expect women to be homogeneous. I expect you to have different ideas and policies and dreams and even ways of functioning. 
Although today I have learned about thigh moments. Having said that, I'm not sure how many male politicians are sitting in parliament today going, check out his thighs. Because they're not worrying about this stuff in the same way that some of us are. And that's why I call me a humorless feminist, and it has been said, but yes, I want us to get over some of those challenges so that we can begin to embrace and use power in the same way that our male counterparts do. Power's not bad, power's great. I learned that as a senator. As a legislator, I learned with a stroke of a pen, legislation could change lives for the better, particularly the lives of women and children in the community. So you've got to be at that table and bring our diversity and difference to it. Thank you, Natasha. Can you join me, everybody, in giving an enormous round of applause to our panel, to Priscilla Brown, to Fabian Datner, and to Natasha Stott-Despoyer. And remember, that was from one of our live events. And you can become part of the movement by signing up at futurewomen.com. The Future Women Leadership Series was presented by Helen McCabe, executive producer Jenny Goggin, sound production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.